0: Well, good morning again, it's good to be with you as we kick off this new sermon series, Nothing to Lose. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we believe we have nothing to lose. As we talk about a subject today, uh, it is difficult to hear some of this, uh, but it's nothing to lose when you're facing death. You know, yesterday I was blessed to do a wonderful wedding for a beautiful couple. Today we're blessed to baptize children in our services. Yesterday, we had a funeral at the church. That's life, right? That's life, life and death. And as Christians, we face that differently. I believe this is one of the most important messages that I will ever give. And for many listeners today, it is the most important message that you will ever hear because death is a reality. I was looking online this past week at the annual death rates in the world, that in the world, there are 56 million deaths a year. There's 153, 424 deaths in the world per day, 6,392 deaths per hour, and 107 deaths per minute. In the US, a person dies every 11.4 seconds. In South Carolina, there's 139 deaths a day. So far this year in South Carolina, there have been 42,000 people died. Mount Horeb this week has had five deaths. It's a reality. So the question is, for a lot of us, is what happens when we die? Stephen Hawkins was a brilliant English physicist, a cosmologist who studied the universe. He was a professed atheist. He believed that science made God unnecessary and the laws of physics can explain science and explain the universe that does not need a creator. When asked about death, Stephen Hawkins said, I regard the brain as a computer, which will stop working when its components fail. There is no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That is a fairy tale for people afraid of the dark. The apostle Paul almost 2,000 years ago, said it like this, reading from the message paraphrase from 1 Corinthians 15. If corpse can't be raised, then Christ wasn't, because he was indeed dead. And if Christ wasn't raised, then all you're doing is wandering about in the dark, as lost as ever. It's even worse for those who died hoping in Christ and resurrection because they're already in their graves. If all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years. We're a pretty sorry lot. But the truth is that Christ has been raised. Somebody say amen to that. The truth is, Christ has been raised, the first in a long legacy of those who are going to leave the cemeteries. Leave the cemeteries. Friends, the reality is our existence and our opportunities are unique. And one day we will not get another chance to do the things. That we want to do in life. Another brilliant scientist was Blaise, Blaise Pascal, Blaise Pascal, regarded as one of the most brilliant mathematicians and scientists of all time, had incredible uh, discoveries, innovations in geometry, algebra, hydraulics, natural science, mechanical calculations, even public transportation. He's considered the father of probability theory. As a teenager, Blaise Pascal invented a calculator. He designed the first roulette wheel. He was said to be the first person to wear a wristwatch. His impact in math and science is reflected by a number of innovations that bear his name, including Pascal's triangle, Pascal's line, Pascal's law, Pascal's theorem, and Pascal's distribution. November the 23rd, 1654, this brilliant young man at 31 years old, had a dramatic conversion to Jesus Christ. He called it a night of fire. He recorded his testimony of how God spoke to him and how God moved in him and how God changed his life. He wrote it on a parchment and sewed it into the lining of his jacket. For the next eight years, every time he changed jackets, he would sew his story into the lining of his jacket because he wanted everybody to know that Jesus Christ had changed his perspective and changed his life. It was after his death that they found the parchment sewn in the jacket he was wearing. Now, he became, after his conversion, a a Christian apologist. He began to write all kinds of, of, of articles about proving that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, that God did exist. And one of his most famous quotes that I've used many, many, many times in ministry through the years is this. He wrote, there is a God-shaped, well, this is a paraphrase, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person and it can never be filled by any created thing. It can only be filled, by, be filled by God made known through Jesus Christ. That every one of us in this room, listening online, has within us a God-shaped vacuum. And no matter what you buy, no matter how much you spend, no matter what you do with your time, it cannot fill that God-shaped vacuum in your heart. That heart is created for Jesus Christ <clears throat> to dwell in your heart. Jesus said it this way. What profit is there for if you gain the whole world and lose eternal life? What can be compared with the value of eternal life? Blaise Pascal died when he was 38 years old. He lived a short life but he lived a full life, making a difference in this world. I want you to know that what happens when we die, death is not the end of our existence. I believe that we're both body and soul. And when we die, we don't end, but our body and souls are separated. Our bodies become lifeless, and we no longer reside there. And we will continue to exist as souls with Christ in splendor. That our soul goes to be with Christ in splendor. But without Christ, we exist in shame. We're going to exist in one way or the other, on the other side. And we can exist with Christ in splendor or without Christ in shame. Jesus said this to the thief on the cross. Remember there were two thieves that were nailed to crosses beside Jesus. When one inquired if Jesus was truly the son of God and he confessed and he believed, Jesus said this to that thief, I assure you today, you'll be with me in paradise today. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. So our text for this first uh, sermon is taken from Philippians 121, and uh, I wanna read it from two versions. The first is from the New International Version, very simple, one verse. Paul says, for me to live, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then from the God's word translation, reading a few more verses. Christ means everything to me in this life. And when I die, I'll have even more. If I continue to live in this life, my work will produce more results. I don't know which I would prefer. I find it hard to choose between the two. I would like to leave this life and be with Christ, and that's by far the better choice. But for your sake, it's better that I remain in this life. Since I'm convinced of this, I know that I will continue to live and be with all of you. This will help you to grow and be joyful in your faith. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Father God, I I ask again, as we asked this morning earlier, that your word, your truth, the very presence of your Holy Spirit would speak to all of us listening today. Lord, that we would know what it means to have a relationship with you through Jesus Christ. And what it is to receive the gift of new life and the gift of eternal life. Speak in us and through us today. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know, in this text here, where he says to die is gain, it does not mean that as Christians, we should desire death because we hate life. Let me say that again. It doesn't mean that we should desire death because we hate life. God wants all of us to live life to the fullest to take advantage of every breath we've been given, to be joyful as long as we have life. Paul was not suicidal. Paul was not morbid. Paul was not about to give up. But Paul knew that he was expendable. And the quicker we learn that, that all of us are expendable in God's time, then the more we can focus on living life to the fullest. If God did call Paul home, he was okay. Okay because he knew he would go to be with the Lord. But as long as he had breath, he was gonna commit to serving God. You know, Paul did not approach the valley of the shadow of death in fear, but rather with a note of triumph. I love what he wrote to Timothy, the young uh, preacher. He said to Timothy, the time of my departure is at hand. Now the word departure really literally means to pull up anchor and set sail. It doesn't mean to sink. It means to pull up anchor and set sail. Everything that happens prior to death is preparation for the journey. Death marks the beginning, not the end. So what is eternal life? What is it? I'm gonna try to give you the simplest answer I can give you. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believed in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Eternal life is, is not perishing. It's receiving life. The Greek meaning of eternal life is life after life. It is life after life. And it's not so much in the Greek about the quantity of life. It's about the quality of life, the perpetual quality of life, real life. So what is eternal life? Really simple. It's life after life. It is good and incredible and wonderful. And what is the cost of eternal life? Well, it's free to us but costly to God. Eternal life is free, but costly to God. I love what Romans six twenty three again, paraphrased the message. Work hard for sin your whole life and your pension is death. But God's gift is real life, eternal life delivered by Jesus, our master. What is the cost of eternal life? Jesus Christ gave his life on a cross. His blood was shed so that our sins could be forgiven. Our sins could be washed away. And we could receive forgiveness and receive the gift of eternal life. Ephesians 2, Paul reminds us, for it is by God's grace that you've been saved through faith. It is not the result of your own efforts, but God's gift that no one can boast about. This morning, if you've received the gift of eternal life, it's God's gift. It doesn't cost you anything. If you've not yet received that gift, I want to ask you, what are you waiting for? It's the gift of God to everyone here and listening today. In John 17, three, we read these words, and this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to the earth. There is a cross in the middle of the cost of eternal life. There is a cross in the middle of the cost of eternal life. So this morning, what are the benefits of eternal life? You know, I'm not here this morning. I want you to hear this. I'm not here this morning as a salesperson selling fire insurance, okay? Because I believe there are a lot greater benefits to eternal life than that. I believe that we can experience those benefits now. Right now, this morning, we can experience the benefits of knowing we have eternal life. Assurance and peace is God's gift to us when we know we have eternal life. I wanna read this text to you. I've read this text many, many times to people who have received a, a terminal diagnosis, or maybe somebody who's not sure they're going to go to heaven. I love these words, 1 John 5 from the Good News Translation. The testimony is this, God has given us eternal life. Not God will give us eternal life. God has given us eternal life, and this life has its source in his son. Whoever has the son has this life. Do you hear that? If you have Jesus Christ, you've been given this life, eternal life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I'm writing this to you so that you may know you have eternal life. I want you to know today, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you've been given the gift of eternal life, that you may know you have eternal life, that you that believe in the Son of God, you have courage in God's presence because we are sure that he hears us if we ask him anything that is is according to his will. I shared Friday morning with our men's prayer group that when you know you have eternal life, when you know that God has taken care of your eternity, you can ask God anything according to his will. There's nothing you're not gonna ask God if you know that he's taking care of your eternity because that's the big question, right? If God can take care of my eternity, he can take care of anything in my life and I trust him with everything in my life. As Christians, we have no immunity from physical death. I love what Billy Graham said. He said, death is to the Christian a friend. A friend rather than a foe. The beginning rather than the end. Dies Natalius is the Latin, which means day of birth. And for the early church, they used this phrase to express the date of a saint's heavenly birthday when he or she died. This is your heavenly birthday when you entered into eternal life. So we have peace we have assurance, and we have hope. Right now, we have hope. George Whitfield, the great preacher, said, take care of your life, and the Lord will take care of your death. Somebody say amen to that. Take care of your life, and the Lord will take care of your death. It's in his hands that we put our lives. You know, you and I are made in the image of God, and our souls are meant to last forever, and we have hope no matter how bad it seems on the earth, no matter how bad it seems in your life, if you have Jesus Christ, you have hope for something better. And I would guess that most everybody in this room has lost someone to death, whether it's a parent, a brother, a sister, a grandparent, a spouse, a child. And one of the great, great blessings of being a believer in Jesus Christ as you know because of their faith in Jesus Christ and you know because of your faith in Jesus Christ you have the hope that you're going to see them again. This is not goodbye. This is I'll see you later. I'll see you on the other side. You know sometimes I would jokingly say to people when I say goodbye here there or in the air right I'll see you again here there or in the air one day. And we're, we're, we're going to see each other again because of our hope that we have in Jesus Christ. You know, I believe that when we know that we have eternal life, our life has a different purpose. We've got things to do for God. We have investments to make for God. A few months ago, I was blessed to be in the presence of someone who had just received a, a diagnosis. As I listened to them tell me their story and listened to them express their hope in Jesus Christ, I told them, I want us to capture your story because people need to hear your story. They need to to hear about your hope and the assurance and peace you have in Jesus Christ because of your faith. So I want you to watch this video and let the Holy Spirit minister to you so that when you know you have eternal life, you know it now that you can have this kind of peace and this kind of hope. Watch this.
1: Whitfield, and I have been at Mount Horeb for about 15 years. I have two daughters, Melissa and Michelle, and I have four grandchildren, and we've been living in this community, and we really do love Mount Horeb. I got started by taking that first step at Mount Horeb and actually going into a small group. It was a big deal for me to do it. I was scared, but I did it. and It was the best thing I ever did. I got in Pat Browder's small group, and I met a lot of friends. And she got me connected with compassion. And so we've had the opportunity to work at Mount Horeb, do the concerts. We've been to the township, Colonial Life. We did a huge women's ministry at Myrtle Beach. And we've just had so much fun. But the biggest blessing of all is watching my girls get their children of their own. I've had MS for a long time, and so every year I have to go and get an MRI. And my last MRI showed the spot that was a little suspicious, so my doctor asked me to repeat the MRI in six months. So in six months, there was still something there, so he sent me to a specialist in Charlotte. When I did go see her, I walked in with my daughter and granddaughter, and you know, we thought everything was fine, but in three weeks, when we got the other MRI, I became paralyzed and I was in a wheelchair when I came back and she was shocked. And so then she wanted me to go and get a special MRI done to uh, see what we were dealing with. And when I did, the tumor had quadrupled in size in a matter of weeks. The next morning we did the biopsy. They came back, you know, stage four brain cancer, worst possible scenario.
2: Finding out about our mom's diagnosis, we were in shock. Um, It really wasn't what we were expecting at all to hear that, you know, our time with our mother was really being drastically reduced. You know, the first thought was obviously what can we do with our time remaining and really the time that will be lost. We've got four children between us and, you know, they really love their grandmother and they look up to her and they love spending time with her. And we just keep thinking about, you know, she won't be there some days to watch them grow up. Mom has never
3: once wavered in her faith. Um, She's never questioned why this has happened to her. She's never been mad, sad, frustrated, angry with God. I've never seen her cry being upset. If she's ever cried, it's just been her being overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit and her faith through it all has just been an example to us and how we should live and take our faith seriously. And how we should, you know, just live to walk with Jesus as well and just not fear what's after this because if our relationship is strong with God, then there's nothing to fear and that's when we'll all be together again. So we're just holding on to that for now.
2: Yeah, and as Melissa said, it's really allowed us to have a peace knowing that, you know, she's going home. So there's comfort in knowing that.
1: After getting the, um, news from the neurosurgeon, and he pretty much told me, you know, it's pretty bad, and if I operate, it'll grow right back. I just had a calmness over me that I wasn't upset. I wasn't scared. I just knew that God was there with me, and He was going to be with me through this whole thing. I just, I had a peace inside of me that I cannot explain. I cannot explain it. (laughs) One thing that I feel very blessed about is that I've had a lot of time to think about getting things prepared for my girls and I've had a chance to get everything in order. I feel like it's been just wonderful that this hasn't happened like all of a sudden and I'm gone and I've got some time to watch my girls enjoy picking out things that I'm leaving them and I get to see the joy in their faces, you know, cause I wouldn't get to see that if I was gone. One of our favorite things about Mount Horeb is the worship team. We love the music. We can't get enough of Grace Marie, and we just love it so much. And so when we're here at the house, we always have our praise music up as loud as we can. And Grace Marie has just blessed us by coming over with her guitar and playing music with us. And we're singing and having such a good time, and she just radiates Jesus. So we feel like Jesus is in this room already, but when she comes over, we're like, oh, my goodness. Your name is I know I can't be at church on Sundays, but I look forward to Sunday mornings. I get so excited to watch the praise band. I love watching church on TV. There's so many of my favorite songs, and I know that my daughters are up there singing them as loud as they can, and I'm singing them right here too. And and I do love I Speak Jesus, and whenever they do that song, I know that my daughters are crying, and I'm crying too. We love it so much.
2: My mom's you know, story and testimony, it's really brought to light that You know, the more you get to know Jesus, the more comfort you have, and just the better, you know, things can always be. So it's really called me to want to get involved in church more. And, you know, I always felt like I've heard Jesus in the back of my mind telling me to get involved in a certain matter that means a lot to me. So I feel like this is a good time to really start, you know, pursuing Jesus and pursuing things that would make him proud. You know, mom
3: has always talked about mission trips and that being something that she wants to do. One Sunday when we were in church and they were talking about the mission trip to Africa, she had talked about how that was something she would really like to do one day. And I thought, well, here I am, send me. So I went to Africa. And honestly, without my mom's encouragement, I'm not sure if that's something I would have done. But because of her, you know, I've grown extremely in my faith. And, you know, she's a reason that I've been pushed to where I've been.
1: I can honestly say that I've been working at a jewelry store for 38 years, and I thought I was witnessing at the jewelry store. But since this has happened to me, um, I don't know if this is God's plan for me, but I feel like I've witnessed to more people in a month than I have my entire life because i've had a lot of vendors and um, salesmen and friends and customers that have called me when they found out and they're crying and i'm like what are you crying for i'm happy i'm at peace i have joy and they don't understand and and i just say you know if you just get in the word and you get a relationship with jesus you'll know how i feel The way I look at it is I know that God's right there. He's got my back. He's got a plan for my life. I know that um, He knows the outcome, and you know, I'm gonna be healed either way, here or there.
3: We're just hopeful and in prayer that she'll experience just overwhelming healing mentally, physically. But um, we're also very much at peace that if she's not supposed to heal, here on earth that we know she'll be called to heal at home in heaven and we're, we're okay with that and we're hopeful for the day we get to go be with her. So, if the healing's not here, it's there.
0: What are the benefits of knowing you have eternal life? It is peace. It is assurance. It is a purpose. I want you to know today that you can have that same peace that comes from knowing Jesus Christ. So that's what can happen now. What about then? What about when we leave this earth? I've shared these verses many, many times in text and conversations with people uh, that have lost a loved one. The loved one has passed into eternity I want to read the paraphrase version from 2 Corinthians 5. For instance, we know that when these bodies of ours are taken down like tents and folded away, they will be replaced by resurrection bodies in heaven, God-made, not handmade, and we'll never have to relocate our tents again. Sometimes we can hardly wait to move, and so we cry out in frustration Compared to what's coming, living conditions around here seem like a stopover in an unfurnished shack. And we're tired of it. We've been given a glimpse of the real thing. Our true home, our resurrection bodies. The Spirit of God whets our appetite by giving us a taste, a taste of what's ahead. He puts a little heaven in our hearts so that we'll never settle for less. That's why we live with such good cheer. You won't see us drooping our heads or dragging our feet. Cramped conditions here don't get us down. They only remind us of the spacious living conditions ahead. It's what we trust in but don't yet see that keeps us going. Do you suppose a few ruts in the road or rocks in the path are going to stop us? When the time comes, we'll be plenty ready to exchange exile for homecoming. I love these words at the end of the book of Revelation in the first chapter of the Bible the first books of the Bible in the book of the Bible in Genesis we get the creation story at the end of the Bible we get the consummation of the kingdom whenever we are in the presence of God Revelation 21 I heard a loud shout from the throne saying look God's home is now among his people he will live with them and they will be his people God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Somebody say amen to that. That's the hope we have as Christ followers. So what will I do in eternity? I believe I'm going to heaven by the grace of God. I believe Mandy is going to heaven by the grace of God. I believe everyone in this room listening, everyone online listening, by the grace of God, by receiving Jesus Christ, can know that you're gonna to go to heaven. What's gonna happen there? You know, I have to confess to you that while well, I like clouds, and I like harps, and I like music, I just can't imagine myself riding around in a cloud all the time, right? Uh, it just, you know, I'll do it for a little while, it would be fun, cloud surfing will be fun. But I love what Timothy Tennant, the president of Asbury Seminary, wrote about this. He says, eternal life does not mean merely that we continue to exist. Rather, life means that we experience the fullness of the original purpose of our creation. In the new creation, we'll be engaged in all kinds of industrious work, projects, inventions, and buildings that we're involved with here, but without the presence of sin. Indeed, this is the great transforming fact about the new creation We won't sit endlessly on a cloud with the wings of an angel or stand forever in a worship service that never has a benediction. Rather, we should see all of life become an act of worship, and the absence of sin completely transforms the very nature of life and work. He says, We'll be unleashed into an endless creativity and deeper discoveries of God's creation, for all of eternity will be brought deeper and deeper into the full glory and the mystery of God's creation in his revelation, we'll learn to love him and one another in deeper and deeper and deeper ways. Eternal life. It's going to be fun. You know, I I, I love this simple statement that in heaven there'll be more productivity, more creativity, because there's no more depravity. There's no more disruption in heaven, because there's no sin. You know, growing up in Kentucky, we all, most all of us, play basketball. And since Kentucky's football season is toast, uh, we can move on to basketball, right? And growing up, I knew where all the basketball courts were. I had one in my backyard and it was a dirt court and it had roots, you know, of trees growing around it and, and uh, the, the goal leaned a little bit to the right. And uh, I loved to bring people to play one-on-one at my house because I knew where the roots were and I knew which way the goal leaned, you know, so I could just win there. And we had a little basketball court in the unfinished upstairs of our church, and it was a narrow unfinished hallway. And we hung a basketball goal in the middle of those rafters, and we would take people up there because we knew where the concrete spot on the floor was, and we hit that concrete spot. You shoot through the rafters on a bank, and you make it every time. And we would wear people out up there. You know, we just beat them unmercifully up there. Well, that's how we played. We played whether it was cold, whether it was raining, whether it was snowing. We just played basketball in Kentucky. And I love the story of uh, Coach Adolph Rupp when he was the famous coach of Kentucky. And he was down in the mountains of Kentucky recruiting a young man who was the leading scorer in high school basketball that year in Kentucky. And at the half, the young man had 20 points and he had not missed a shot. And Rupp went into the locker room at halftime and said, son, you might be the best shooter I've ever seen. You haven't missed a shot. He said, but you got one problem. He said, coach, what's that? He says, whenever you shoot, You just turn around and go back down the floor. You never follow your shot. And the young man said, coach, there's no wind in here to knock the shot off. See, I think that's heaven, right? There's no sin in heaven to knock us off. There's no sin to disrupt what we're gonna be doing for eternity. Now, I wanna sing a while. I wanna clout for a while, but I wanna get busy. I wanna do things for God, and there's no sin to frustrate me and disrupt us what we're doing. So the final question I have for you today And for some listening today, this will be the most important question that you ever answer. What will I decide about eternity? What will I decide today, not tomorrow, but today about eternity? John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever disobeys the Son will not have life, but will remain under God's punishment. Before Blaise Pascal's death, he had written many articles about faith in God. And again, he, he invented the first roulette wheel. So he was kind of fascinated with, with, with betting and wagering, making bets. And he, and he wrote something called Pascal's Wager that explains it only makes sense to wager, to bet that God exists. Pretty much what he wrote, if a person bets, God does not exist and is wrong. If you make that bet today that God doesn't exist, heaven's not real, hell's not real, and you're wrong, you lose everything. You lose everything. But on the other hand, if a person bets that God does exist and is wrong, he loses nothing. He says there's no middle ground. Everyone's gotta make a choice. And Pascal, this brilliant mathematician, this brilliant scientist said, reason impels you to believe. There's a a diagram that makes it more simple for me to understand. Basically, it says, if God does exist and I do believe, I go to heaven. If God does exist and I don't believe, I go to hell. If God doesn't exist and I do, do believe, nothing happens to me. If God doesn't exist and I don't believe, nothing happens to me. I have waged everything that I believe in. God exists. Mandy has waged everything she believes in that God exists. And she's been given the gift of faith and the gift of peace and the gift of eternal life. I want to give that gift. God wants to give that gift to everybody today. C.S. Lewis said it this way. Christianity is a statement which, if false, is of no importance. And if true, is of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. God doesn't give us that choice. So you and I will decide today, maybe in the next few moments, where we will spend eternity. We make that choice. God has offered to us a path. God has offered to us a person named Jesus Christ. You know, the question is, what must I do to receive eternal life? All of us are sinners. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Our sins have separated us from God. Our our sins have caused us to be distant from God. But Jesus tells us in the Gospels that if we receive him, believe in him, receive him, confess his name, that we will find new life and be given the gift of eternal life. The Bible says we must repent of our sins, turn from our sins. Not say you're sorry. Say, I'm going to repent of my sins and turn from my sins, and he will forgive you and give you new life and eternal life. And today is your opportunity. We only have so many opportunities. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. We may never hear the gospel again, Our hearts may never be this open again. So the question I have for you this morning, will you come to Jesus Christ? Will you receive him into your life? Receive forgiveness? Receive new life? And receive eternal life? It seems real simple, doesn't it? But it will change your life forever and ever and ever. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you that you have loved us so much that you sent your only son into this world that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Father, I pray right now for those persons listening who need to receive from you salvation. Father, I pray right now you would hear our confessions of sin. Lord, I'm a sinner. There's things that I've done that I wish I wouldn't have done. There are things that I've said that I wish I wouldn't have said. There are things that I wish I'd have done that I haven't done. There are things I wish I would have said that I didn't say. Father, right now, I repent. And I ask you to forgive me and cleanse me and make me right with you. I invite Jesus Christ to come into my heart. Come into my life, come into my soul. And thank you, Jesus Christ, for giving me life and the gift of eternal life. Father God, thank you right now for those persons who said yes to Jesus. I'm going to ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I just want to give you an opportunity today in this room, or if you're sitting in your living room, if you have given your life to Jesus Christ today, receive the gift of eternal life, would you just lift your hand? Lift your hand. The Bible says that the angels in heaven are rejoicing right now because you have received new life. And you can know now that you have eternal life. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you've been given new life.
2: God's people said,